Today is Friday, May 5th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. People get saved at SatanCon. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Don't you forget to subscribe if you haven't already. We need to have you here each and every weekday morning at 7 a.m. We're getting through the news of the cray. As always, you can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Just say hi. We'd like to know you're out there. Several of you have done it, and we're happy to hear from you. Joining me now, as always, Trey Gomes Phillips, Billy Hallowell. What's up, fellas? We've made it. It's Friday. We're living the dream, as always. I'm I'm excited. I'm about five cups of coffee in today. All right. And I, I mean, they were half cups. Loaded so. and ready to go. Maybe TMI, but if I had that much <laughs> coffee, I would just need to go to the bathroom like 18 times. <laughs> That's <laughs> that. Yep. You were right. That's TMI. To, no, it's just because like water, it's just, it's the same thing. It's yeah. like I've got to pee now 18 times. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm we're, way, lose my job, we're way off everyone. track. Let's just go right into the stories here. So, <laughs> what do, what do I'll send on my applications. Yeah. <laughs> what do we have coming up on the focus today? Well, we're going to be talking about Sean Foyt and his uh, really interesting comments about SatanCon and what apparently happened there that was positive for Christianity. Yeah, it was a really big turnout there, which was surprising because usually these conferences, especially something like SatanCon, which is, you know, just awful. But I, there were like 10,000 people there, supposedly. That is That was shocking to me, but uh, interested to hear this positive angle on that. On the main thing, we have John Stolness talking to CBN's Dale Hurd about this greater Idaho movement. Apparently, a lot of areas there are in, in Oregon are not happy with Oregon. They want to go to Idaho. So uh, we talked to Dale Hurd about that on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. As both sides of the abortion issue navigate the political landscape of the post-Roe world, Republicans are still seemingly trying to settle on a strategy, and that worries South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who spoke to CBN News and said that she hopes in the next election cycle we can see people be strong and honest and truthful about their values. If you're pro-life, be pro-life and explain to people why you are. You can check out that full interview over at CBNnews.com. And far from the God-fearing man that he is today, early on in his marriage to his wife, Kay, Phil Robertson was an alcoholic who almost imploded his life. Then he found Jesus. Phil's story of almost losing it all and then accepting Christ is going to be in a new feature film called The Blind, which hits theaters nationwide September 28th. You can read that story at CBNnews.com and FaithWire.com as well. And protests in New York City after a 30-year-old man was threatening subway riders until a Marine veteran put him in a chokehold to try to subdue him. But the hold lasted over 10 minutes and ended up killing the man. The man's name was Jordan Neely. He was known as a performer of he performed michael jackson routines on these subways he had a lengthy arrest record over 40 arrests and was known also as an agitator on the subway system those are just some of today's top headlines you can check out those stories and more over at cbnnews.com guys this this story i don't know if you've been following it on the subway but it's one of those situations again tragic anytime someone dies but protesters are out now and they're immediately trying to fill this narrative And this is one of those stories that I just feel like if we would all just take a step back and look at the facts on the ground, this person was threatening everyone on that subway train 
And you're trapped on those trains. Anybody who's ridden them, there's not until for a couple minutes until you get to the next stop, you're trapped on that train. And so nobody had an idea of what this guy was going to do. And so uh, a man who is identified as a former Marine decided to get him into a chokehold to try to restrain him until authorities could arrive. He ends up dying. Now everyone's, you see these people saying it was a lynching and these things. It's like, well, you can't, you can't threaten people on a, on a subway train and then expect nothing to happen. That That's not a lynching. So maybe this guy that tried to stop him, maybe he did act excessively. We'll, we'll see when all the facts come out, but um, it, to, to try to portray it as this was some sort of a racial attack is just just seems a bit of a stretch. Well, not a bit of a stretch. It is a stretch. and But that's where we are as a culture now. Everybody jump into these things. Well, what concerns me about these situations is that when emotion comes into it, you tend to take the facts and put them to the side, and the emotion drives the punishment. It, dri- it can. It can drive the punishment. It can yeah. drive the narrative. It can drive everything. You know, and and we've seen this in the past with Michael Brown and other cases where there are certain details, right, regardless of how horrific or tragic the situation is, that actually get embraced that might not really be true details of what unfolded. And so that always concerns me. And again, it may be that this person is found completely guilty and they did all the wrong things, but you have to work through the logical process. And I think we put that to the wayside too often. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also, and we've talked about this so many times, there's an incentive that the media world has to jump on the divisive, uh, divisive train, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to leap on anything that is going to divide, particularly based on sexual identity or the color of our skin. I think you can always like, that's a, that's something you can bank on happening every single time. Uh, and it ends up nine times out of 10, really honestly, 10 times out of 10 causing more problems uh, than making a situation better. Uh, so I don't know, as Christians, I just feel like we need to, we need to do all that we can. And we try to do that at CBN who's right to not prioritize yeah. those divisive details until we actually know what's going on. Right. I mean, the, the country would be better off as far as division goes, if we would just take a step back when we see something, evaluate the facts that we have, and then arrive at a conclusion. What everybody sees now is they see a headline and I guarantee you people were looking for that video and trying to see what color the people involved were. Now, no one that's pushing the whole you know, lynching narrative mentions the fact that there were other people trying to restrain this man as well. And they were of various races, not just white people. So what does that do to your narrative? I mean, it just would be look, it would be nice if we could look at this on a human level. It's sad that this man was so disturbed that he felt the need to threaten people on the train for money or food or whatever he was asking for, but he was he was doing it in a threatening manner, and that this even needed to happen in the first place, that somebody needed to do something. And so we need to just be praying all the way around because I'm sure this guy that put him in a chokehold seems like he was trying to just help people. It's not like he woke up looking for somebody to attack that day by all accounts. So it's uh, a situation we need to be praying for all involved because it's it's a tragedy, however you slice it. So... We're going to move to the focus story now, and Satanists, they made headlines. We talked about this on the podcast a couple times, this conference, SatanCon, but also once it happened, we saw a viral video of someone from that conference tearing up a Bible and other antics at this SatanCon 2023 event there in Massachusetts, but something else happened 
that I'm pretty sure the Satan Con goers were not thrilled about. So what happened here? Yeah, this is really interesting. But according to popular worship leader and author Sean Foyt, this uh, sort of resurgence of faith among some of the people around SatanCon unfolded. Um, he told CBN News that there was this amazing community that came together and they were spreading the gospel, talking to people about faith, and that nearly 100 people around SatanCon, right, in the area of SatanCon, actually became Christians, accepted hmm. Christ, according to his sources and the people he was speaking with on the ground, which is pretty incredible because this is an event to commemorate satanic values, right? And here you have people purportedly becoming Christians. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And were these, how did these come about? I mean, was this random or were there, was there a planned outreach there? What was happening? Yeah, so this wasn't just random evangelists kind of going out. Um, interestingly, Sean was talking about an outreach he's involved in. He said for many years, he and others have brought teams separately to Salem around this haunted happenings event that they have before Halloween. And they would bring worship teams in and evangelists in, and they would organize. And that some of those same team members actually came together to mobilize an effort around SatanCon 2023. Apparently, 250 evangelists hit the streets in eight different sections around the gathering. So this was a gathering that brought a lot of people, not just people there as part of SatanCon, but presumably local people, others coming to watch. And we don't know who those 100 people are. They could be you know, people who were part of it or people who were just there to watch. But those evangelists strategically plotted out areas to reach people with the gospel. So this was something that they that they definitely planned. Yeah, and whether they were at SatanCon or not, Boston, the Massachusetts, Boston area there is highly, highly secular, highly liberal, low, very low uh, percentage of Christians there, especially devoted Christians. And so that's that's a remarkable number no matter how you slice that. Sean also shared some other disturbing personal details about some of the things he's been sent. Can you share some of that? Yeah, so I didn't even ask him about this. He shared it. And you can see when you go and look at the story over at Faithwire and CBN News, he's holding up postcards that he says were Satanist themed. And you can see that based on the design. These postcards were apparently sent to his home not that mm. long ago, just about a week and a half ago. So clearly some of these people have his home address. He's a vocal guy. But that's a little that's a little creepy. And he actually said that there were threats and all kinds of other things on some of the things that were sent to him. And so he said, look, I think it just reveals the kind of hour that we live in in America. Um, and he talked about the Satanists becoming bolder and feeling more emboldened than ever. You, know, you look at Ephesians six, you're in a spiritual battle, right? Yeah. So if one side is increasing, the other side is increasing. But again, we have to mention this and it's important. These Satanists do not, according to their own theology, believe in the existence of Satan. The Satanic Temple is an atheistic form of Satanism, but yet you look at them and a lot of them are wearing Satanic symbols, right? So it's just a very bizarre dynamic. Well, and like they might try to make that distinction because as atheists, I guess they don't believe in anything, and so they wouldn't believe in any spirit, whether it's good or evil. And But you can't call yourself you know, the Satanic Temple it always makes me chuckle when someone from the Satanic Temple is like, well, we're we're just so misunderstood. It's so frustrating. Well, maybe you shouldn't have named yourself the Satanic Temple if you didn't want people to mess it up, right? I mean, it just seems like some comments. Everyone thinks we're Satanists. Well, I wonder how they arrived at that conclusion. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, Sean did leave us with some a really strong reminder. What did he say? Yeah, he said, look, in the end, we know who wins. He said, darkness is scared of light and that God wins and that Christians have to be careful. You know, we get very reactionary, not just Christians, but everybody in America today. We react to darkness. We get angry. We troll people. We, you know, that's the culture we're in. And we've talked a lot about that. But he said, we have a greater alternative. and We need to present that to people because, again, God wins in the end. And so it was a good reminder in a chaotic culture. Yeah, it's I I, I have um, some interesting feelings when I see something like Satan kind of first you want to be mad you know because you're just frustrated that somebody's doing this but you know really then it just turns to sort of sadness you know and I feel I feel sad for the people that are that misled that this is where they've end, ended up in life and I think that's something we have to also remember that we're we're not at war with these other people they're they're captives I know we've mentioned this on the podcast before but it is definitely worth repeating they are captive. They're enslaved by sin, and they've given themselves over to it. And so, our enemy is the enemy, you know, not them. You know, we have to work to get them free. We have to share the gospel with them and view them as prisoners who need to be set free by Christ. And it's our job to just share the gospel and let God, you know, water water that seed and and make it grow. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's it is just generally that's my main feeling that I'm left when I see this is sort of sadness for these people that they're that lost. Yeah. You know, I think it, I'm reminded of that cheesy saying that we've all heard so many times that oh, what, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yeah. And I think honestly, just um, uh, sharing that hopefulness with people, because you're right. I think it's easy to fall into that anger zone where we do become divisive and we end up doing whether consciously or subconsciously, exactly what these Satanist groups are doing, right? They're actually, it's just incredibly divisive. They don't actually believe in anything. They're just trying to troll Christians to some degree. Uh, and I think a lot of that or all of that is due to an emptiness and a despair within their own hearts. Uh, and, and we need to be different from them, different from them. We shouldn't look like them. Uh, that doesn't mean that we should, uh, should, should be hateful at all or divisive. It's the opposite. We should be uh, pouring into them because what scripture says, is like pouring hot coals on someone's head when you respond in kindness and with love uh, to people who are divisive and, and hostile toward you. Yeah, absolutely. Great story there, Billy. Appreciate you bringing it to the podcast today. And we're going to move over to the main thing now. And 11 counties in the eastern part of Oregon have now voted for their officials to consider leaving the state and joining something called Greater Idaho. Four more counties are expected to join them soon. And Mike McCarter, who's the president for Citizens of Greater Ohio, said, if you think about it, it's almost like divorce. Now, I don't agree with divorce, but it happens. And so that's what we've got. We've got a division in the state that's almost non-reconcilable. Well, John Stone has caught up with CBN's Dale Hurd for all the details on this story for today's main thing. So, Dale, it's interesting anytime we have these conversations about uh, different states wanting to secede or change their borders or anything like that, because in our minds, I think we have a picture of the United States, right? Um, I know my kids in school, they, they have all these puzzles of the United States and you can take them apart. And we, we have an idea of what the states look like, how big they should be. And it almost feels as like it should not be able to change or like it can't change because yeah. it's been cemented in our brains. But what's going on right now in Idaho and Oregon, uh, they're, they're talking about radically changing 
the sizes and makeup of these different states. Can you just lay out for folks what uh, what the plan is here and that and and what they're trying to accomplish? Sure. Well, uh, folks not familiar with Oregon, uh, it it tends to divide politically right at the Cascade Mountains, which which goes north and south through the state more or less, and uh, the coast is is more liberal, although. You know there are exceptions depending on the city or the county, and and the east is more conservative, much more conservative. It's also a different lifestyle. It's rural. Uh, folks don't make as much money, um, and so, but Portland, the the coast drives the state, and is and Portland policies are becoming state policies, and essentially being forced down the throats of these. Uh, folks, I mean, it's Trump country. I mean, you see Trump flags in in Eastern Oregon, okay? And you 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 might you might get your tires slashed if you flew a or a rock through your window if you flew a Trump flag in in Western Oregon. So they're very different, and uh, Eastern Oregon wants out. Um, the taxes, the policies, it's coming into their schools, and and there's this plan for them to join Idaho. And of course, immediately people are like, well, fat chance. And, and it is a tall order because both states have to agree. Washington, the Congress has to agree. And, uh, but, you know, it, they're, so what they're trying to do now, they're trying to show coastal Oregon, uh, Western Oregon, a liberal Oregon, what's in it for them. They're, they've been running commercials showing why this would be good for you, because what state wants to give up its territory, right? right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and what are they saying? What what are the arguments for Western Western Oregon to to go forward with the with the, with something like this? Well, um, per person, a pro, uh, a disproportionate amount of taxes uh, of spending goes into Eastern Oregon because it's a poorer region. So they would have they wouldn't have that they would have wouldn't have to spend as much on one part of the state. And also it would give uh, Western Oregon a supermajority um, so that they could pass whatever bills they wanted. They, you know, they could go whole hog on their progressive agenda, which, by the way, isn't working very well if folks have seen my Portland story. But anyway, they there there wouldn't they wouldn't have any friction in the state house. They could do whatever they wanted with legislation. So yeah, and and so far, I mean, and also they've scaled back what this Greater Idaho uh, would be because it originally included actually part of California and it went all the way to the Pacific Ocean. But they found that uh, folks in those areas weren't as excited. They scaled it back, and now it's. It's more or less, it's it's 14 or more counties in eastern Oregon, and 10 have already said, uh, yeah, we're interested in this. Uh, and the Idaho House has said we're interested in this. The Idaho Senate has said, yeah, we've got more important things to do, but polls have shown that most Idahoans are in favor of this. And I think one of the obstacles is one of the things that I was mentioning at the top of this interview. It's a mental obstacle, right? As much as anything else, we we have gotten used to our states being a certain size with a, a certain makeup. But, you know, 
Oregon isn't all, all alone in this, right? I mean, like there right. there are other states that where you have a you know a majority of a political party maybe in the seat of power, but in the rural areas you have more conservative folks. I mean, something someplace like New York would spring to mind. Uh, you have right. you know states like Pennsylvania where in in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh they're they're much more democratic as opposed to the rural parts of that state. So this isn't the first state that has had to deal with these kinds of push pull between seats of power holding holding sway over a, a rural majority but a majority but is there is there anything the the governor of Oregon is doing in order to try and placate or to to address the concerns that eastern Oregonians have right now well it was talked during her campaign she was recently elected and so how much I'm sorry but we're both journalists and cynical how much is that worth <laughs> uh but yeah she she talked about uh, she wants to to um, stop the alienation and, you know, reach out to them and make them feel like they have a seat at the table. And people in eastern Oregon are saying, yeah, we've we've heard this. We don't know how many times before and nothing ever happens. And in fact, when you look at legislation coming down now uh, in the Oregon uh, um house it, you know it's uh more gun control etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah as you said there's i count about eight states where there are uh it, simmering or active um exit uh aspirations by the by the conservatives in the state in fact right after the story aired i i heard from another state saying please do a story about our state you know we want <laughs> out and you know the differences are really stark uh, you know, when you look at, um, you know, parts of, you know, you look at a state like California or Illinois, the, the, the agricultural areas are just, it's a different world mm -hmm. from the cities. And yet those cities are running the states and forcing policy on these other areas. You noted in your story that the Oregon-Washington border was moved as recently as 1958. Right. So it's not unprecedented. We we have, I think this was also mentioned, like this is not unprecedented. We, we even though, right. again, we have in our heads of the United States looking a certain way and states being a certain way, we have seen uh, this throughout the country's history, haven't we? Yeah, I'm, I'm from Michigan and, and Michigan and Ohioans know about the Toledo War over a strip of land uh, in Toledo. Toledo was in Michigan and uh, Congress gave Toledo to Ohio and they took the Upper Peninsula uh, territory from Wisconsin and gave it to Michigan or whatever. Wisconsin may not have been a state back then, but yeah, we've moved this and boundaries have moved but what state wants to i mean what what state wants to give up territory i right. i that that seems almost that's like jumping the shark for me but but who knows uh you know circumstances may develop in which this could possibly happen there i mean just in there could be pressure on the oregon government simply by the fact that so many counties have voted to leave and you're and yet you're going to keep them captive. Mm -hmm. So we'll just have to see. And I think as as I think about this, there the, the larger question, too, of separation. Right. Is it good for America and Americans to be separating because of political differences? I mean, obviously, there you don't want to have one party 
lording, no matter what party it is, lording power over another party in a different part of the state. I mean, I think the, yeah. you, you would like to see parties come together. You'd like to see these groups of people find common ground and for there to be outreach and, and for there to be consensus. And it can seem impossible when you when we're so politically divided right now as a country. But as far as as far as separating, I know that's been a big conversation in, in the country over the last year or two, that we're becoming a more divided country. Do you think it's better that we separate in in, in ways like this? Is are there do the benefits outweigh the or do the benefits outweigh the negatives of of always looking for ways to to separate? That's I mean, that's a really good question. And that might be above my pay grade to answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say that um something's gotta give in states like Illinois, Oregon, where they are so completely different that I think at some point counties will stop obeying the state. I mean, they're um, one of the things they want the or Eastern, the, the greater Idaho people wanted to make clear is, is they wouldn't have any part of civil disobedience. And yet the very fact that it came up in the interview and, and not for me made me think that there is talk of that. And you know, it would be nice to think that the majorities, the Democratic majorities in these states would be more magnanimous, but they're not. Um, they believe their political program is correct, just like conservatives believe their political program is correct. And they're not going to um, change it for a minority because they are in power. Well, it's something to keep an eye on. And like you said, it's it's a long shot, to say the least, that mm -hmm. something like this could happen, especially like you're talking about the amount of land uh, yeah. that that they would be giving up. I think you said in your piece, 62 percent of its land mass would leave yeah. Oregon. That just seems like a bridge too far from an outsider looking at this. But um, well, cer certainly it's worth keeping an eye on. And it's part of the larger discussion about national divorce and separation. And you mentioned there are other states that are dealing with this. And so for folks who haven't seen it, you can watch Dale's story on CBNnews.com and, and read it as well and check out everything else Dale is doing for us at CBN. Dale, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, John. Thank you. All right, John, appreciate that conversation with Dale. You can check out Dale's full report over at the CBN News YouTube channel. I'll also have it in the description of this podcast episode. That leaves us with time here for one last thing. We're going to look at Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. It says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. I think that's such an important reminder. Uh, we have so many things going on in our world today. One of them, a big one, being this epidemic of loneliness that we're hearing about. I think it's important to remember that God's acquainted with that and can, can meet us in those moments. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is a good spot to leave leave it here on the podcast today. As always, appreciate you being here. Don't forget to get over to cbnnews.com and faithfire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so. Don't forget to leave a rating, all that good stuff. And as I said, email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. We'd love to hear from you. Lord willing, that creek don't rise. We'll be back here on Monday with more. God bless. <laughs>